right, well, my name is Laura. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from insecurity, food addiction, and shame. And this is my husband, Mark. Hi. <laughs> and I'm Mark. Um, I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from control, anxiety, and anger. Okay. So, do you want to introduce our family for us? Sure. Um, there should be a picture coming up in a second, but um, Mark and I have been married for about 13 and a half years, and um, we have two kiddos. Caleb is almost 12, Karis is almost 10, and um, we also have an international student living with us that's 17, so keeps us plenty busy. Yep, not pictured right now. Yeah. The, um, so to start talking about this topic of follow, we thought we'd, we'd uh, start out with a short music video to, for y'all to listen to. So. Uh, we'll play that and then we'll talk about it. What does it really mean to follow God? Like as I stand here today, I'm reminded of the first time my children ever got an opportunity to be in snow. And when we walked outside in the snow, they were very fearful in terms of the steps that they would take. And what I did was I walked in front of them and I took steps and I said to them, Instead of creating your own footprints, walk in the footprints that I've already made. Life like this is what your life like. Try to live the life right. People really know you push your buttons like type right. This is like a movie, but it's really very lifelike. Every single night, right? Every single fight, right? I was looking at the gram and I don't even like lights. I was screaming at my daddy, told me it ain't Christ like. I was screaming at the referee, just like Mike. Looking for a bright light. Seagull with your life like. Riding on a white bike, feeling like a sight fight. Pressing on the gas, supernova for a night light. Screaming at my dad and he told me it ain't Christ like. But nobody never tell you when you're being like Christ Only ever seeing me, only when they need me Like if Tyler Perry made a movie for BT Searching for a deity, now you wanna see it free Now you wanna see it free, let you see it through your piece Tell me what your life like, turn it down a bright light Driving with my dad and he told me it ain't Christ-like I'm just trying to find, I've been looking for a new way I'm just really trying not to really do the fool way I don't have a cool way, being on my best though Lock up on a text though not another word, let a picture or a desmo. Wrestling with God, I don't really wanna rest so Man, it's really lifelike, everything in my life Arguing with my dad and he said it ain't Christ-like So now I don't know what you know about Kanye West. Um, I don't know what you think about Kanye West. I don't know if you even know who Kanye West is. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you were tempted to sing along with that song or if you were just kind of wishing that he would slow down a little bit so you could actually understand what he was trying to say. Um, I'm not really sure if that song sounded real, sounded real familiar to you or it sounded really, really foreign. Um, but the thing that I think that everyone in this room um, can relate to about that song is the question that it raises. Um, 
let me clarify that just in case you couldn't follow along or understand what he was saying. Because the question the song raises is this, how in the world do I follow God? How do I as a human follow God? From his father's introduction, that was his dad talking, um, to his struggle to understand what it even means to be Christ-like, to his frustration with the fact that even when he tries really hard, it doesn't happen. That's, it's not what he does. Um, he's probing and prodding that question. How do you follow God? And that's the question we're looking at this evening because that's step seven, follow. Yeah, so for the last six months, once a month, we've been teaching on the steps in order. And so, like Jeff said, last month we talked about step six, repent. Tonight, it's step seven, follow. I'm going to read to you specifically what step seven, follow says. It says, we humbly ask God's spirit to change our hearts and minds in order to follow Christ fully. And the core verse for this step is Galatians 5, 22 through 25. It goes through the fruits of the Spirit and then talks about, like, how, how do we have that in our life? It's by walking in step with the Spirit um, that we've um, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, that we're not living by the flesh, we're living um, in the Spirit that's inside of us. So each of these steps, we've been talking about a person in the Bible and how do they walk out this step in their life. So tonight we get to talk about somebody um, who I really love reading about. We're going to talk about a man who met Jesus face to face. He learned how to follow Jesus um, and actually in person with him. We're going to talk about Matthew. He was one of the 12 disciples, and he wrote the first book of the New Testament, which is the gospel, Matthew. Um, But that's not how he started out. And so we want to pick up in the Gospel of Matthew 9.9. It's going to be on the screen, um, or you can look it up if you like. But this is what it reads. It says, As Jesus was going down the road, he saw Matthew sitting at his tax collection booth. Come be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, I think one of the biggest challenges a lot of times when we're reading the Bible is to remember these are like real people. So you've got to notice some of the details here. It says, Matthew was sitting at his tax collection booth because he was a tax collector. So what that means is he was on the job. So you think about yourself and your situation. I'm a teacher. That's what I do. So imagine if I'm in the middle of class doing my thing. Someone comes by the door and says, hey, come follow me, and I just jet. What would happen to you in your job? I know what would happen to me in my job. And I'd have a whole lot of people not happy, and I wouldn't have that job anymore, right? But that's how Matthew describes what he did. He just left. And so we got to appreciate that, right? Like the significance of what happened, because if you don't appreciate the significance of what happened, you won't appreciate the attitude that he had to have had to take that step, because it was actually a really bold one, a really big one. Imagine any one of you just deciding, I'm going to leave my job today, just in one minute. That's a huge life change. But the thing that we have to appreciate is that in order for Matthew to respond like he did, he had to make a decision. The decision he had to make, in that moment, we aren't told, Matthew chooses not to tell us why exactly he made that decision or what led up to that decision, but we know he made this decision He decided that Jesus knew how to order Matthew's life better than Matthew did. 
Matthew decided that Jesus knew better, so it only made sense to follow him. So he got up, and he went. From the life that he had cultivated, from the life that he had developed, and he left. Because the, thing, the first thing you need to appreciate about how to actually follow God is that you, if you limit yourself to what you know and what you feel comfortable with, you'll always limit the work of Christ in your life. This is, this is how Jesus put it later in Matthew's gospel, right? He says this, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What we're emphasizing um, first with follow is that it requires trust. It requires a lot of trust. And we walk through this in step three initially, and you know, trusting first and foremost Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of our sins, um, for relationship, a restored relationship with him. But then we continue on and we get to step seven and it's follow and it's trusting him daily, um, with our daily life, learning to walk through that daily. Um, Matthew likely heard Jesus teaching, saw him healing people, and got to just listen for a while and figure out kind of what do I think of this Jesus a little bit, sit back and watch. But once he was convinced that, um, that his way was best, he was all in. But this didn't happen on his own um, because only the Holy Spirit can change our hearts and minds. We can't do it on our own. So the Spirit had already been working on Matthew's heart, already been drawing him toward himself, toward a relationship with him. And just like Matthew, the Spirit draws us to himself. He's the one that changes our hearts and minds. And so in step seven, we learn to humbly ask him to change us and fully give up our own way, which is surrender. Um, not just parts of our lives, but all of it. So when I first started Regen about nine years ago, um, I was really struggling to let go of some areas in my life that I just really didn't want to let God have control of. And I knew, I mean, I knew in my heart and I had seen it played out in my life that God was good and faithful and that I could trust him. But there was this disconnect going on. Um, I was angry and there was some unforgiveness in my life, had a lot of self-hate and was just daily using food to numb all of the pain. And um, what I realized is that I was just so afraid, so afraid to let go, even though logically I knew that God was the one I could trust. I still had trouble believing, like, if I let go and fully just fall in surrender, um, will he really catch me? Will it really be okay? So I was still trying to get to that point of believing that what he wants for my life is best and trusting that. And, but I came to a point going through region in those 12 steps that I just desperately wanted to be changed. And so I just started a habit um, of just daily getting on my knees and just asking the Lord, will you change my heart and mind? And sometimes like in almost pleading, even though I knew like he says he'll do it, just because I so desperately wanted to be different and I'd finally become convinced that I can't do it on my own. And you know what? He has been so faithful to do just that. 
I am in no way perfect, um, a lot still to grow in, but it, he has done so much over the last nine years and been so faithful to change my heart and mind, and I know that he will continue doing that throughout my life. So let's continue on in Matthew 9 um, in verses 10 and 11. Um, this is what they say. They'll be up on the screen as well. That night, Matthew, or later, later on, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. The Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? They asked his disciples. So what happens is Matthew then just invites, him over, invites Jesus over to his home sometime later with other tax collectors and sinners. So think about it. Who, how do you think he would have um, referred to that group of tax collectors and sinners? Those were just his friends, right? Those were his friends that he invited over. Because I think sometimes it's really easy to, you know, we can talk so much about how much Christ changes us when we come to him that we kind of ignore all the things that he doesn't change, Right? We talk about it like uh, kind of in a romanticized way, and we can leave behind the reality that, you know, honestly, ordering your life around Christ doesn't mean you simply leave every part of your life behind. That's not how he works. It means building your life around Christ as the reference point. Following God means building your life around Christ as a reference point. Um, he becomes the standard of how you decide what you do or don't do. Christ becomes the standard for right and wrong. So you work to see your very normal circumstances in a new light. See, he doesn't change all your circumstances. He just changes the significance of all those circumstances that exist around you, that you live in, right? He doesn't always change everything. And this is why. This is, let's look at Jesus' response to the Pharisees, so these religious teachers' insults about his friends. Jesus picks up in, in verse 12. When he heard this, Jesus replied, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. See, he's teaching the religious teachers something. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. For I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. See, because this is the thing. God is in the restoration business, not the teardown business, right? He's working to restore us. He's not trying to get rid of your old life. He's trying to change it to be what it was always meant to be. He's trying to change you into the type of person that, he, that you were always meant to be. So you don't leave everything behind, just what doesn't align with him. I love this line from the book, um, one of the lessons in step seven. It says, it is the role of the Holy Spirit to regenerate Christians from the inside out and empower them to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. But what is our purpose? God's purpose for us is that we would glorify him as we are being changed and made more like Christ and as we are helping others to know Christ. And when we're walking through recovery, sometimes we do need to change our playmates and playgrounds. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but there are certain things that, that trigger us and are going to cause us to stumble and that do need to change. Um, 
You need close relationships, close friendships in community with other believers, others who are gonna point you toward Christ and help you follow him. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you need to quit your job and move to a remote village to be a missionary, um, unless God specifically tells you that's what he wants you to do. We're not to live in a bubble, though. Your job, where you live, your family, your friends, your neighbors, could be the best opportunity to be a light and share Christ. And Matthew did this beautifully. After he got up and followed Jesus, like Mark said, he, got, he um, had them over for dinner had Jesus, his disciples, and then his friends over for dinner. And I imagine he was so eager and excited to share with them, like, this new life I found in Jesus. Um, a minute ago, I mentioned, you know, you don't have to move to another country to be a missionary. I actually thought that would be my future. I thought that was where um, God was leading me, and I wanted to um, share Christ, do uh, music and missions all together in Africa or Asia. Um, you can ask this guy over here on our third date. I told him that I wouldn't keep dating him if he didn't feel like the Lord was also leading him toward foreign missions. Um, and I genuinely thought, <laughs> I genuinely thought, like, believed, like, hey, this is where the Lord is leading me. Um, but that's not where he has us now. That's not how life has turned out at this point because of just a series of health issues and different things like that, we've ended up here in Plano, Texas, um, near where we both grew up and with family all around us and getting to serve and love people right here in our community. And let me tell you, I wouldn't change it. I'm exactly where I wanna be because I've come to believe that God's plan for me is what's best and to trust him that it's not about what I think it should be, but it's about his plan. Yeah, and so for this, uh, for the last point that we're going to talk about, I actually want to start with uh, Peter, not Matthew, and then we'll go to Matthew. Um, so where we're going is the, the end of John uh, 21, in the end of the Gospel of John. Um, it, this, is, this is right after the restoration of Peter. The restoration, if you know anything about the, the story of Jesus' death, right before he died, so Peter is a real exuberant guy, like he's always trying to go after it. And so Jesus said, hey, all of y'all are going to leave me when it's time for me to die. And he goes, nope, I won't leave you. And so Jesus says, man, you're going to deny that you even know me three times before the, before the sun comes up. And he says, nope, not going to do it. And then guess what happened? He did it, right? So this guy that he had, he had devoted himself to, had shown all this, you know, professed all this loyalty to, he totally let him down. And so Jesus comes along, and he restores him. He, he reminds him, look, it's okay. Like, I told you you were going to do that, remember? Like, but I still love you, and I still know, and now you need to lead others to follow. And, and right after he tells him this, look, I'm, you, are in, you are the leader. I need you to, uh, to lead the people that are going to come to know me. Um, this is Christ talking to him. This is... Um, this is what he says to him. This is what Jesus says to him. The truth is, this is to Peter, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked and go wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to Peter to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. 
Scratch. He's like, oh, Peter, by the way, yeah, you're, we're good. You're going to be the leader, and you're going to get crucified just like I did. Right? <laughs> Imagine getting that mail, right? You're like, what? And that's exactly, like, he actually responded in a really relatable way. He looked around to see who was around him, and this is what he said. Um, Peter turned around, saw the disciple Jesus loved, which is how John's referred to in the Gospel of John, following them. The one who was leaning over when he said, he said, Lord, um, you know, Peter asked Jesus, what about him, right? Which is, I mean, maybe this is just because I teach high school kids, but like this happened to me yesterday, right? Like you tell them something they don't want to hear, right? Like about them specifically, they're in trouble, they didn't do the thing right. They're looking around to see who else they can throw under the bus, right? Like, well, what? come on, I can't be the only one. And that's, what, that's exactly what he did. Um, even at this point, right? He's got his head on a swivel looking for someone to throw under the bus. Oh, what about their story, right? Like, and that can happen to all of us. Something happens, and we want to get mad at God because of where our path is leading us, and we, well, why don't I have their path? But Jesus doesn't let him do that, right? This is, this is how Jesus responds to that question. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Right? Because this is what, this is the point that Jesus is making. Is, and this is the thing that we all have to really internalize. Um, which is, the challenge of following Christ myself is enough. I don't need to be worrying about other people in that sense. Like, me being faithful to Christ it will be enough for me to handle. Um, if I start looking at other people, um, it's just going to lead me astray. It's going to distract me from what I'm supposed to do. Doesn't matter if, we, if I think someone's better off than I am or someone's worse. Right? Um, there's no record of Jesus saying anything to Matthew about how he was going to die. Uh, but the, the records, the, the best records that we have say that Matthew ended up moving down to an area around uh, what's currently Ethiopia, okay, which would have been foreign, foreign land for them. And he was uh, pinned to the ground with spears and then decapitated was how he died, right? Um, so the point in me telling you how these men's lives ended is that if you choose to follow Christ... I don't know what your path will be, and neither do you, right? Following him means you don't even know what it's going to look like. And so what that means is, as we look around at other people, other people can serve as guides to you. They serve as encouragement. That's why we gather here as a group. That's why you gather in your small groups to guide, to help one another, to encourage one another. Um, but Jesus is the only one that's the standard. Because if you're trying to follow Christ, but you're constantly looking at other people and trying to judge yourself against them, that will do nothing but hold you back. Christ is the standard, so don't let others distract you from that, uh, not even yourself. Like Mark is saying, um, following God requires humility. The ability to say, like, my plans, my desires are not significant when looking at what God wants for us. 
that I want to lay that down and trust what he has for me, um, just like Jesus and Matthew did. We saw both of them do that, lay down their own desires, say, okay, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to do, I'll do it. Um, I told you a bit of my story earlier with, um, you know, foreign missions, thinking that that's where the Lord was leading me, and um, I didn't tell you the in-between stuff, the ugly hard part, just that it was really hard because it was a series of years of just kind of still wondering, are we going, are we not, and and kind of battling, like, just some anger, frustration, disappointment, sadness, all of that, and grieving that a little bit, and also looking, and I was comparing and seeing one of my dearest friends who I've known since I was 14 have the life that I thought I was going to have with her husband and children in Asia, serving, sharing the gospel with people, some who've never heard, um, getting to serve in that way, and I finally had to let go and say, just like Mark was talking about, like, that's her life. That's the plan the Lord has for her. I don't know what his plans are for me. Who knows? Maybe we'll go someday. Maybe not. And that's okay. It's about what he wants for me. And so right now, I'm happy right where, he, right where I am because it's where he wants me. Um, and the, the point is that I don't compare my life with others. But the goal now is that I'm asking him, how do you want me to be faithful right now, today, in this moment? How would you have me to be faithful and to be listening carefully? Because the Holy Spirit will let you know. He will tell you. Um, He lives inside of you and reminds you of truth, truth that's in his word, uses his people to remind you of that truth as well. But following God isn't about sin management. Um, It's about daily dependence and obedience in him. So when I'm tempted to use food to cope or to hide a poor food choice or to say something unkind to this guy. Never. Um, mm-hmm. My job is to be continually learning to depend on God, to depend on him to give me what I need, that I don't actually have to give in to that temptation, um, that he provides a way out, that he will give me what I need. But I don't, I don't just want to not do the sin, not do the thing. What I want is to know, love, and obey Jesus which is equals following him. And when I do that throughout the day, if that's the goal, then there's really not a lot of room left over for sin. And of course, I'm not perfect, and I mess up all the time, um, but this is the goal in following him, is that moment-by-moment dependence, obedience, and listening. How do you want me to be faithful right now? What would you have me to do? You know, the, just to wrap it up, step seven's a real transition point in the, in the steps of regeneration. Uh, the first six steps are quite inward focused. They're very inward focused. Um, but as you enter into step seven, follow Jesus, um, uh, it really put, starts transitioning you towards the full scope of the Christian life. Um, because in Christianity, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, there's always an inward focus. That's always present. That's why region starts there. Um, but when you really learn to follow Jesus, you'll find that he will lead you back out into the brokenness of this world so that you can be an agent of restoration, even like he is, right? Even while you're in the process of being restored. Because no one who gets on this stage is there yet. No one's there yet that you will ever meet in this life. But there are some people who are in that process, right? There are some people who are, who are working hard to learn to follow him so we can become a little bit more like him each day.
Um, and that's what we're calling you to. That's what we're encouraging you to, to share what Christ has shared with us. You know, the, you know one of the most intimidating parts of, uh, of the Christian life for a lot of people can be evangelism. But if you learn to follow Christ, I think you'll find it becomes a whole lot easier. The easiest opportunity I ever had for evangelism was my first one. And it was because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so um, I became a Christian through Fellowship of Christian Athletes at my high school in Mesquite. I grew up in Mesquite. And about towards the end of my freshman year in high school. But it wasn't until the, my freshman year at college, so about three years later, that I really grabbed a hold of the idea, what does it mean to follow Christ? Like, this is supposed to dictate my day-to-day um, uh, functioning, how I function on a day-to-day basis. And when I got home from the end of uh, my freshman year, uh, it set up my, uh, that following Christ set up the easiest evangelism conversation I've ever had because my mom, who I was very close with, pulled me aside and said, you're my son, you're different, and I want to know why. Right? It, it doesn't get, there's no silver platter better than that as far as sharing what Christ is doing in your life for someone that you care about and love to come up to you and say that to you. Right? Because she was not impressed by my profession of Christianity the first three years. But when I followed Christ, when she saw it change how I lived on a day-to-day basis, that she had to know about, right? So let's go back and finish with Matthew, right? And remember, like, he was just a dude, right? He was a guy with a normal job, and, you know, it was not a good job, but it was, it was a job, right? So think about Matthew sitting at his tax-collecting booth, just doing his job. Do you ever think he ever intended to move to Ethiopia at that point, Right? Like, it was more rugged than it is now, right? And a lot of y'all would just be nodding your head, uh, no, uh, shaking your head, I should say, no, if you ever thought about it. I'm pretty sure he didn't ever think about that. Do you think he dreamed of dying by being stabbed to death in Ethiopia? I don't think so, right? But he got there by following Jesus. That's how he ended up in Ethiopia, And so I don't know if you've ever read any stories. They're actually really good to read of Christian martyrs, those who die because they're following Jesus. But if if, if we don't have any, you know, first-person accounts of his death, but based on what I've read from those stories, I think I can safely say this, that if you asked, if you had an opportunity to ask Matthew, hey, would you have rather, because tax collectors made a good bit of money, would you rather have been rich and die an old rich man or would you rather have been following Jesus and die in Ethiopia, getting stabbed and decapitated? I think he would choose Jesus every time. And that says something to us, a lot louder than words can speak. As we think about our circumstances and what we do with our lives, and as we encourage you to do what he did with his life and what we're trying to do with our lives, which is follow Jesus. That's it.